You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 56. Hello there, Metamorphs. We are back. Chris Lester here, coming to you once again from Metamorph Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. After a week at Balticon and another week recovering from a throat infection, I am ready to entertain you with more of my fiction, fresh off the writing desk. First, though, I want to thank everyone who came out to see me this year at Balticon 50. This was a crazy year for the convention. We were at a new hotel, with a huge number of guests of honor, and that drew in a lot of people who had never been there before. There was also a lot of turnover in the Balticon staff, and some technical difficulties with the new scheduling software. The result of all this is that there were a lot of growing pains this year, and it was easy to get frustrated. But despite all of that, I had a wonderful time at this year's Balticon. The con staff did a great job of providing everything we needed for Metamore City Live to be a success, including giving me an hour with the empty room so I could test all the equipment and make sure it was working properly. That was a big ask in a convention as packed as this one, and big thanks go to programming coordinator Jeanette Butler for making it happen. The Metamore City retrospective panel was also a great success. Doc Coleman did a fine job as moderator, and we had some interesting questions from the audience. The Metamore City Live Show is now available to Patreon subscribers as a bonus episode, and I'll be dropping the retrospective panel here in the feed sometime in the next few weeks. I hope you guys enjoy them as much as I did. Now then, let's get to this week's story. This week I'm bringing you the first part of Chapter 15 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. With this chapter, we move into the novel's third act. Things are going to be happening very quickly now, and there will be major spoilers if you haven't listened to all the chapters before this. Go back to Episode 24 to hear this book from the beginning. Then when you're caught up, follow me along to this week's story recap. Metamore City Police Detective Catherine Catane has been trying to help a group of young nobles who fell victim to a magical accident. While trespassing in the Telvari Inner Rift Zone, Ezekiel Kapler, Julia Mathias, Hal Raines, Misty Halloway, and Sefi Hinlasos were struck by a powerful mana surge, along with their shuttle pilot, Bernard Travers. The heavy dose of life-aspected mana caused their bodies to warp and mutate, and gave at least some of them powerful psionic abilities. Trying to gain such abilities was at least part of the reason Zeke arranged the expedition in the first place. The other reason for going was to find out what happened to Project Lightpath, a team of explorers who vanished at the rift 25 years ago. Hal's mother, Cynthia Rains, was among those lost. Apparently, the Lightpath team had been trying to make contact with some kind of entity that lived in the rift itself, but their communion spell was cut short by the mana surge. Zeke and his friends recreated Lightpath's communion spell, and they found someone to talk to, a group of telepathic energy beings who called themselves the Great Chorus. Some of these beings broke away from the Chorus to investigate their new visitors, Unfortunately, when the mana surge hit, these creatures became trapped inside the unconscious minds of their mortal hosts. House Kapler spirited Zeke and his friends away from the rift, never realizing that some of them were now possessed by alien creatures. Even worse, these symbionts depended on the power of the rift to survive. 
Cut off from its life-giving energies, they began to starve to death, taking their hosts with them. So far, two of the hosts have already succumbed to the symbiont's energy drain. Bernard Travers, whose body burned up from the inside out, and Hal Rains, who committed suicide with a morphine overdose before that gruesome process could repeat itself. Of the surviving members of the expedition, Julia, Misty, and Seffy are all carrying symbionts. Zeke, on the other hand, has no idea the symbionts even exist. The Great Chorus knows that he will someday inherit control of the rift from his father, and they have prevented their hosts from revealing their existence to him, in case he might try to use their power for his own gain. Kate and her partner David arranged a meeting between Julia and Misty and Commander Janus Starson of the Lothanasi Order. The two women and their symbionts told Janus their story, and Janus agreed to help them return to the rift. The Lightbringers will need 24 hours to get everything ready for their departure, so Janus tells them to meet him at Lothanasi headquarters tomorrow night. Unfortunately, just as the meeting was about to break up, Ezekiel Kapler appeared. The young scion was enraged to the point of madness, convinced that the Lothanasi were conspiring to steal the rift from him and his family. As evidence of this, he produced security camera stills of Janus in a private meeting with Malcolm Ardvalos, the vampire crime boss and a leading advocate for opening up the rift to private development. Apparently Zeke has a contact in Malcolm's organization, who provided him with the photos and pointed him in the direction of this secret meeting. The others try to talk sense into Zeke, but he's past the point of listening. He grabs Julia and disappears in an act of psychic teleportation, leaving his skimmer behind. Now Kate and the others will need to find Julia and get her back from the paranoid Zeke before tomorrow night. But before they can do much planning, David notices a ticking sound coming from inside Zeke's vehicle. They all scramble inside Janus's armored skimmer, but before they can make their escape, the bomb explodes collapsing the parking garage and burying them under a thousand tons of rubble. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 15 Consciousness returned with the sound of falling rocks and scraping metal. Kate breathed in reflexively, caught a lungful of dust, then convulsed in a coughing fit. Her head throbbed and spun. Her stomach lurched. Easy. A woman. Misty Holloway. Clawed hands helped Kate to sit up. Her dizziness subsided, but the headache remained. I can't see, Kate told her. She didn't like the edge of fear in her own voice. The skimmers buried. Misty sounded calm, a little annoyed, perhaps, but nothing more. Good under pressure, this one. They're digging us out. Where's David and Janus? Kate asked. I'm here. David's voice came from the front seat, sounding distant and strained. Just a bit preoccupied at the moment. 
The airbags hit him wrong, broke a couple of ribs, Misty said. He said he was going into some kind of healing trance. Nearly done now, David assured them. Janus rolled down a window and dug himself out to call for help, Misty said. We weren't getting a phone signal through all the rubble on top of us. Great, Kate groaned. Let's hope he doesn't lock something loose and crush us. If we weren't crushed yet, I don't think we're going to be, Misty said. I'll give the Libs one thing. They know how to protect their people. The armor on this skimmer is something else. I guess so. Kate felt for her Arthana, pulled it out, and channeled the little mana into the blade. Her headache pulsed, and her ears rang as she called up the power, but the spell worked. The dagger lit up, filling the skimmer with cool blue-green light. Misty sat beside her with her legs crossed, drumming her fingers on something Kate couldn't see. Probably her tail, curled around her body and rendered invisible by the disguise charm. If she had any bumps or bruises, they were likewise hidden from view. Kate checked herself over. There was a nasty lump on the side of her head, and stars sparkled across her vision when she touched it. Probably got a concussion, then. Great. The memory of the explosion came rushing back to her in the vivid, crystalline details of her eidetic memory. A bomb. Ezekiel Kapler had blown up a freaking bomb in front of them. That changed things in a big way. It was one thing for a bunch of young nobles to endanger their own lives with their reckless behavior, but setting off explosives in the middle of Metamore City? Even if the garage had been empty, the potential for collateral damage was horrifying. That's it, Kate growled. I'm officially done. She took out her mobile phone and dialed emergency services. What do you mean? Misty asked, frowning. I mean, it's time to call in the cavalry. I'm getting Lord Zeke flagged as a terrorist. Let the imp steal with that psychopath. The phone beeped. Kate looked at the display. Out of range. Fuck. She threw it on the floor in exasperation. Detective, you can't call in the imps on this, Misty said urgently. No, Kate snapped, pointing at Misty with her Arthana. Do not tell me what I can and cannot do. By all the gods, I am fucking sick of you Skywalkers, acting like there's one set of laws for you and one for everybody else. He set off a bomb, Misty. That is terrorism and attempted murder and probably three or four other crimes I can't think of right now because I have a fucking concussion from having a bomb go off in front of me. As soon as I can get a goddamn signal, I am calling this in and that bastard is going to jail because it is my fucking job and I am not about to let people run around my city setting off bombs and... A gentle hand touched her arm. Catherine, David said. What? If you don't calm down, you're going to use up our oxygen. Kate opened her mouth, taking a deep breath to resume her tirade, then thought about what she was doing and shut it again. She collapsed back into her seat, head throbbing. There was another scraping groan of metal on rock, closer and louder now. Through the windshield, a pinprick of light appeared, then widened into a crack. Kate heard muffled voices shouting from somewhere outside. Sorry, she said quietly but I'm still calling this in. Actually, I believe Lady Mysteria has a point, David said. Kate crossed her arms. How so? 
If Lord Ezekiel is flagged as a terrorist, it won't just be the Ministry of Justice hunting him down. The Ministry of Intelligence will get involved as well. Which means my father will lock down everything and everybody connected to this, Misty said. The Libs won't be able to make good on Janus's offer. Not without revealing our secret, anyway. And Daddy's the last one we want to know about that. You still planning to take Janus's offer, then? Kate asked. I don't see a better one on the table. And if you call in the imps, we'll lose that one, too. Kate closed her eyes and rubbed at her temples. Her head felt like it was going to split open. She ran through the possibilities in her mind. All right, no imps. We'll flag him for kidnapping, for reckless endangerment, and the manslaughter of Bernard Travers. Those are local crimes, not imperial ones. Call in a SWAT team, have him arrested, take Julia into protective custody. Then we get Julia transferred over to the Lightbringers for questioning. Janus can have her to the rift and back before anyone knows she's gone. Misty sat back and tapped a fingernail against her teeth, visibly considering it. It's not a bad plan, she said at last. I can see why you'd think it would work. Kate frowned. Why won't it? Because, unfortunately, there really is a separate set of laws that only applies to nobles, Misty said. You haven't dealt much with our kind, have you? As little as possible, Kate said sourly. Misty snorted a laugh. I don't blame you. And you didn't grow up in the city, either. I can hear some southern midlands in your accent. Kate groaned. Really? Damn it, I thought I'd gotten rid of that. Misty grinned. My point is, you haven't been around here long enough to know the staggering amount of bullshit the great houses have at their disposal. Take sovereign soil rights, for example. Kate searched her memory. I've heard that term in connection with foreign embassies, she offered. Like if a tourist from Inador steals something and then runs to his embassy, he can't be arrested by local police because the embassy is sovereign soil for Inador. We'd have to get him extradited. Exactly, Misty said. What most people don't realize is that the noble houses can do the same thing. Every house has entailed properties where they have sovereign soil rights. If Zeke takes Julie to Kapler Tower, he can claim sovereign soil and you can't touch him. Now wait a minute, that's bullshit, Kate protested. Misty shrugged. I warned you. But he's a citizen of the Empire. If a perp fled to, I don't know, Meriton or something, we could still issue an arrest warrant and bring him in. Not if he's on sovereign soil, Misty said. Kepler's land is held in trust from his liege, who has it from his liege all the way up to Duke Thomas. To get someone off that land for a trial, you have to go to the leader of the house. Kate pounded a frustrated fist against the seat. Baron Kepler, who does not like me very much. Can I appeal his decision? Sure, Misty said. But he can sit on your request for weeks before he has to make a decision. And so can the lord above him and the one above him. And they will, too, because you're a commoner and they'll want to remind you of your place. The disgusted tone in her voice spoke volumes about Misty's own feelings on the matter. Remind me of my... He tried to blow us up! Don't tell me we can't bring him to trial for that, at least! Yes, but the Lord has the right to hold him under house arrest on his own soil. He'll show up for his court date, but that doesn't do a thing to help us get Julie back. This is insane, Kate said. The law is the law. Everybody's supposed to answer to it. Why does Kaya let them do this crap? 
She has to, Misty said. All this was set up way before Kaya became the Majestrix. She had to agree to uphold the rights of the nobility before the great houses would accept her as head of state. Without their support, Metamore would have torn itself into pieces. Maybe she thought she would fix it later. Maybe she still does, David said. He was sounding a lot better now. His voice was clear and strong. It's only been a thousand years since she took charge of Metamore. Not very long, from her point of view. Damned immortals and their warped sense of time, Kate grumbled. All right, so we can't drag them out of there. What can we do? Their conversation was interrupted by someone knocking on Kate's window. She looked up into a flashlight beam, squinted, shielded her eyes, and finally focused past it to the person holding the torch. She beamed and rolled down the window, impressed that it still worked after being buried under three meters of concrete. Morgan! Kate cried. What are you doing here? Hello, darling. Morgan slipped in through the window with effortless grace, greeting Kate with a fierce hug. I followed the medical team over. I'm very glad to see my professional skills weren't required, but I do have other talents that I thought might be useful. And were they? Misty asked. Oh, yes. Morgan puffed up her chest a little, looking inordinately pleased. I got to lift girders and move large slabs of concrete. Best workout I've had in some time. Hello, Mysteria. Good to see you, Morgan. Misty took her hand, clasping it warmly. Really sorry to hear about the whole mess with your family. Believe me, I can relate. I know, darling. How is John, by the way? He's well, enjoying his work. I'll tell him you asked. Morgan smiled. Do that. Now, all of you hold still and let me check you for injuries. Her quick but careful inspection turned up nothing life-threatening, though Kate had been right about the concussion. Go easy on the spellcasting for a few days, Morgan told her. How easy? Kate asked. Morgan shrugged. If it hurts, stop. Otherwise you risk doing more damage. You might even lose mana capacity if you're not careful. Kate swallowed. The last thing she wanted was to weaken her spell reserves. Anything else? Should I be on bed rest or something? Morgan smiled thinly at her. Kate, darling, someone just tried to blow you up. We both know you won't stop until this is finished, so let's just make a deal. I won't give you a medical advice you won't use, and you won't insult my friendship by pretending you're going to follow it. Kate stared at her for a long moment, then smiled back. Morgan, I could almost kiss you right now. The vampire brushed her thumb gently over Kate's cheek. Let me know when you get past almost, darling. I'll be here. An awkward silence fell over the back of the skimmer. Misty broke it by clearing her throat. <clears throat> so, I'm really glad you're here, Morgan. We were just talking about how we need to get Julia Matthias back from House Kapler. Morgan turned her attention to Misty. Curiosity peaked. Oh? Why, has she come to her senses about dating Ezekiel? No. Well, maybe after this, Misty allowed, gesturing around the wreckage. But we need to get her to Lightbringer headquarters by nine o'clock tomorrow night. Morgan's eyebrows went up. They found a way to reverse whatever the rift did to you? Not completely, Misty said but they do have a way to stop it from killing us, which I'll take at this point. Morgan settled into the seat between them, looking pensive. 
Right. So, back up and fill me in. They did so, though Misty chose not to reveal the existence of the symbionts to Morgan. Morgan, of course, knew the legal chicaneries of the noble houses at least as well as Misty did, and she instantly grasped why Lord Ezekiel was, at least for the moment, beyond Kate's reach. By the time they concluded, Morgan was leaning back, her pale, violet lips pursed in thought. A short time later, she sat up again and nodded decisively. Right. Kate, darling, you'll have to leave this one to the professionals. Misty and I will make sure Julia gets to her appointment. Kate looked askance at Misty, saw agreement there, and grew even more confused. Ladies, no offense, but you're two of the biggest outcasts in the nobility. Not outcast, Morgan said firmly. Disgraced, perhaps. Embarrassing, definitely, Misty added. But we are still house scions and for two of the most important houses in the conservative wing, for those who judge such things. And we know how to play the game, Misty said. And when not to, Morgan said. Kate looked back and forth between them. You two just can't wait to cause some trouble, can you? Old habits die hard, Morgan admitted. It's like a drug, Misty said gleefully. Kate sighed and spread her hands. All right. What do you want me and David to do? Go to the Hedonist Temple, Misty said. John's there, taking care of Seffy. Your plan was a good one, so we'll just use it with her instead of with Julie. Bring her in as a witness, then take her to the Libs. Tell John the password is Ten Shan Beth. Got it, Kate said. Anything we need to know? You've been keeping Seffy under wraps for a long time now. Misty grimaced. She's not well. The temple's energy is keeping her alive, but what the rift did to her? You'll see. John will fill you in on the details. Kate nodded once. All right. She glanced out the window and found that the rubble had been cleared away enough for her to open her door. She did so, then helped Morgan, Misty, and David out in turn. Good luck, you two, Kate said. She took Misty's hand briefly, then hugged Morgan. Be careful. You too, darling, Morgan said, squeezing her tightly back. David's skimmer was far enough away from the blast zone that it had escaped with only cosmetic damage. He sighed at the sight of the chunks of concrete that had shaken loose and dented his hood, but he brushed them off without comment. Kate waved to Morgan and Misty as the two noblewomen drove by in Morgan's skimmer. Morgan blew her a kiss. Think those two know what they're doing? Kate asked. Almost always, I think, David said, and never more than when they seem entirely clueless. Ah. Kate slid into the passenger seat and buckled up as David maneuvered them out of the damaged parking garage. And how about now, when they seem like they have a perfect plan? Now, David said, sagely, we should be grateful for their ability to improvise. Kate smirked. No battle plan survives contact with the enemy, huh? David's ears twitched. Catherine, in my experience, no battle plan even survives contact with your allies. And that's where we're going to stop for this week, folks. 
Will Misty and Morgan be able to convince Zeke to let Julia go? Will Kate and David get Sefi to the Lightbringers in time? And what is the Vampire Syndicate up to? The mystery continues next week. Now it's time to check in on my latest adventures in storytelling. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 4,159 words this week, over the course of 5.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 792 words per hour. I wrote on 4 out of 7 days this week. I broke my chain on May 26th, the day that I drove to Balticon, ending 46 uninterrupted days of writing. Between the convention, a virus, and a nasty throat infection, I ended up taking 12 days off from writing. I started up again on Tuesday, June 7th. Looking back at the month of May, I wrote a total of 17,642 words over 25 days of writing, for an average of 706 words per day. Over the course of the month, I wrote for 26.25 hours. Compared to April, my word count increased by 31%, and my butt-in-chair time increased by 33%. Overall, May's productivity was pretty solidly in the middle of the pack. I've had lots of better months, but quite a few worse ones, too. This week I started work on a new short story, which I'm tentatively calling The Nearness of You. It's a science fiction high-tech ghost story, set in a future that's just on the cusp of the singularity. It's fun to try something different, and I'm looking forward to having another new story to share with my Patreon patrons. Speaking of the Patreon campaign, I have some more good news for my donors. If you've been following my updates there, you already know that Metamore City artist Randall Fulton has been having some trouble keeping up with the pace of our monthly rewards. I talked to Randall about that this past week, and we've agreed to bring on a second artist to fill in the gaps in our monthly reward schedule. Fortunately, it didn't take me long to find one. His name is Ben Clifford, and if you're on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group, you've already seen at least one of Ben's sketches. I've started working with Ben on his first piece for the Patreon feed, which is going to be some artwork for my superhero story, Flying Free. We're both very excited about this new partnership, and I'm looking forward to bringing Ben's artwork to you in the coming months. If you're not a Patreon patron yet, why not join us? You'll get bonus stories, bonus artwork, and other features, like author commentaries and sneak peeks at upcoming stories. All you need is a credit card or a PayPal account, and you can adjust your pledge level or cancel at any time. Your monthly support is a huge help in keeping this show going. That's patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. The link will be in the show notes. And now, the feedback. Damn you, Chris Lester! What a place to leave us for Balticon. Holy shit. Alright. Did you, did you, like, you know, you couldn't have arranged that. So that was the spot where we left off for the break where we've been doing other stuff. That can't be on purpose. You lucked out, dude, but man, I hate you right now. Hi, Nobilis. 
You're right. I did not plan for Chapter 14's cliffhanger to happen right before Balticon. Once I realized where the break would be happening, and where I'd be leaving you guys for two weeks, I had a solid evil laugh for about two minutes. I know. I'm a bad, bad man. Daniel Jacobson writes, I heard a rumor that you were at one time planning a tabletop RPG. Are there plans in the works to release a tabletop or online pen and paper game? Unquote. Hi, Daniel. It's true, for a while there I was experimenting with a couple of different RPG concepts. I ran a test game several years ago using the Core 20 role-playing system, but it was just a little too cumbersome and mechanical to be a good fit for the world of Metamore City. More recently, I started looking at the Fate system. I liked the look of that one a lot better, but by that point my old gaming group had scattered to the four winds, so I didn't have anyone to playtest it with me. Also, I was in the middle of a very hard year of teaching, and after that, well, things just never worked out again to have the chance to pursue it. I would love for there to be a Metamore City role-playing game, but I finally had to admit to myself that I'm not the best person to write it. Any time that I spend writing and developing an RPG is time that I'm not spending writing new stories, which is ultimately more important. Also, I'm just not a game developer. I don't have the training or the experience to do it well. Now, all of that having been said, if there is a team of game designers listening to this podcast and you'd be interested in licensing Metamore City for a role-playing game, please send me an inquiry. I would love to talk business with you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your comments in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook page is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Etherius, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To make a monthly pledge to support the show, visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. The links will be in the show notes. That's our show for this week. Come back next time for more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2016 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.